For more resources, visit rym.org. The Local Youth Worker is a daily podcast that's centered on five questions each week. Ranging from the practical to the professional, we're looking for answers to the questions you're asking. Whether you're in full-time, part-time, or even volunteer youth ministry, this podcast is for you. Hey everybody, we're back uh, with Russ Whitfield. Um, yesterday we started talking about the topic of diversity and really how this came from one of Russ's sermons at our summer conference in uh, Colorado. Um, Russ, we, we kind of broadened that definition yesterday, um, but, but something else you talked about in that sermon, um, really you read you know, from Acts chapter 10. And uh, you, you uh, in that sermon, brought us all the way to the beginning of Acts and then kind of started working through it. And uh, you, you talked about how, you know, most scholars say there are, you know, four conversions uh, that took place uh, kind of in that section of, of Scripture. Uh, would you br- yeah. briefly just walk us through those four conversions and think why you argue in some ways that there's a possible fifth conversion that takes place? Yes. So in the narrative of Acts, um, I think it's important to try and not only pick up on the immediate context of particular passages, but to try and get a sense of what the overall strategy and message of the author is. So if you follow what Luke is doing in Acts, it starts with the call of Jesus, his, his, his final words to his disciples, that they're going to receive power and they're, they're going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the to the ends of the earth. And then what you see happen is a, a, a rich engagement after Pentecost, on Pentecost and after Pentecost, with Jerusalem, Judea. Um, there are lots of conversions. Um, there are lots of, um, of people coming into the, into the church. Um, but they get stuck in this groove. And what happens is that the Lord sends persecution uh, that comes to a head in the martyrdom of, of Stephen. Um, in chapter seven. And then immediately after that, what you see is the, the fulfillment, the beginnings of that, of, that, um, of that fulfillment of the word of Jesus, that they will be his witnesses. And so the first thing you see happening in, in uh, Acts chapter eight is the gospel goes to the Samaritans and they're shocked. And the Samaritans come to faith, the spirit is poured out and they're like, it's almost like what Jesus said was true. <laughs> and then immediately after that, you get an Ethiopian eunuch. He's a man of power where he comes from. He's a black African. And you're starting to get to the ends of the earth. Uh, you're, you're, it's the beginnings of that. And then you get, you know, the most, uh, the most, um, radical opponent of the Christian faith, Saul of Tarsus, who's converted and he becomes the greatest advocate. That's conversion three. So, so you go Samaritans, you go Ethiopian eunuch, then you go Saul of Tarsus. So you're getting all of the unlikelies, right? All of the people that um, those disciples would not have been inclined to include in God's story. They, like, they just, they wouldn't have been included. Then you get to the fourth one, which is Cornelius. That's what New Testament scholars typically um, 
identify as the four major conversions where the gospel is going global. The, the gospel is spreading. There's a globalization of the gospel. But I think um, when you look at the way that Peter is framed up in Acts chapter 10, I am, I am led to believe that Luke is trying to point something out to us in terms of a change that Peter undergoes, that everyone in God's church, like Peter is a stand-in for the, for the change that all of us need. And I use the language of conversion uh, intentionally, uh, not to diminish uh, the importance of uh, conversion as we think about salvation and theology of salvation, but I think it's to point out this, the nature of the, the Spirit's work in Peter's life uh, because he was just simply, he was not able to process it. He wasn't able to take it in or he wasn't able to see it prior to this. He has this, this heavenly engagement. He, he falls into a trance. It takes that much. And in the trance, you know, the, the sheets lowered. He has this experience where he sees all these different kinds of food, all these different kinds of food that would make him gag, right? Like the <laughs> thought of eating them would make him gag. He couldn't even stomach the idea. And then immediately, you know, at the same time, God is speaking to, to Cornelius, this Gentile, this Roman who's a soldier. He, Im- he embodied everything that was against the Jews. He was a Roman. He was part of the empire that was squashing the Jewish people, holding them down, um, mistreating them. And this guy, his entourage shows up right as the, the trance is ending, ding dong. And what God shows Peter is that the, the gag reflex that he experiences in the trance is really meant to point him to the gag reflex of his own soul toward those people. So if we frame up conversion, if we frame up conversion theologically in salvation as uh, that work that God does by his spirit to open your eyes to your own sin and need, and simultaneously to open your eyes to the glory of Christ, the brilliance, the beauty of Christ, such that you no longer want to live life without him and you move toward him. I spoke of cross-cultural conversion as that work that God does in our hearts. And, you know, when he's sanctifying us, where we see the ugliness of our, of our insularity, of our divisiveness, of our, um, uh, cultural superiority, and we look at others and we see something of the beauty, the creative beauty of those people and their cultures, and we move toward them because we no longer want to live life without them because we were we were never meant to live life apart from them. We were always meant to be that beloved community. Um, if you look at the beginning of the story and the end of the story, that informs what we're supposed to be doing in the middle of the story right now. And so that's what I was trying to get at with this conversion. Peter is converted uh, in, in a sense to a new way of seeing not just the Gentiles, but all people. And he doesn't arrive, right? He, because Galatians 2 happens after Acts 10, and Paul has to rebuke Peter for withdrawing from the Gentiles. But he's repentant, and you even see later on in Peter's letters, then when he talks about you know, and when he addresses the church in chapter two, he says, you're a, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Like he, he's speaking to a mixed multitude there from the dispersion. And it's, it's, he's constantly wrestling with it, but now it's a battle. He doesn't just succumb to his, 
to centering his own culture. Hmm. Yes, that was very well, very well put. And just, I mean, so many thoughts, so many applications, but just one coming to mind as I'm thinking of Peter and Peter's life here, um, (laughs) how often I'm constantly encouraged by the people that God chose to use. Um, you know, yes. Peter is not yes. this perfect, and the Bible, you know, does not portray people as just having it well, all I, together. You see, mm-hmm. one of the leaders of the church struggling mm. with this issue, and as you say, you know, in this section in Acts ten, this you know so-called conversion, but then him still continuing to struggle with that in Galatians two, and then uh, with the rest of his life, that that the yeah. Lord loves to use people uh, that aren't all polished and squeaky clean. And continue, yeah. continue to struggle, and so that's that's a great encouragement. I mean, just obviously one thing we can uh, take yes. from this. Um, yes. Anything else to add as, as we close out? Um, I would say I would encourage people to follow out the rest of the story of Acts, um, and put yourself in the vantage point of uh, the Jewish people who, you know, their Messiah comes to them. After all of this time that they have been persecuted, they've been pushed around by the nations after the fall of the kingdom, um, they just they just get pushed around. And finally, their Messiah comes and they want him to exact judgment on those people. Hmm. And those people are the problem. Those people are getting in the way of everything that we hope for and dream for. But the Messiah they get doesn't want to destroy those people. He wants to include those people. And so the message for all of us, I think, is that if we want to follow this Jesus, then we have to be the kind of people who are longing for connection with those people rather than extending further divide between ourselves and those people, whoever those people are for us. So it's like, we cannot, we cannot, at the, you know, just like we draw a circle around the requirements of our own love, we cannot circumscribe the love that God shows for people that we, we just don't really have any interest in. Like if, so here's the deal. If we find ourselves running away from the people we find Jesus running toward, then we need to reexamine uh, our understanding of, of discipleship and what that requires of us. Hmm. Well said, Russ. That's, that's very good. And tomorrow we will continue this uh, conversation, uh, specifically looking at some areas of brokenness uh, that uh, come up through this uh, discussion. So thanks again, Russ. Yeah, gladly. Glad to be here.